0: just want to make some interesting observations, and you may have um, noticed them yourself as well. And that is that it seems, and not just seems, it actually is, that the, at least the beginning of the book of James, has a lot of similarities to the first book of Peter, or the meditation of Peter that Benjamin has been going through. And even uses some very Uh, familiar and same language. Um, We know that the audience uh, was very much the same, the Jews that were dispersed in many different places, but just the references to being born again, to the word of truth, to that call of holiness, and also even direct references like the comparison of, of man and the brevity of life and how it is so much like grass that grows up and then, then fades and, and just withers away. And probably other things that, that we could pick out that have that similarity. And even the very text that I have read this morning has a lot of similarity to the text that Benjamin read from on Sunday morning. And if you will remember the, the three main points that he was trying to make, that there was a, a, a call to sincerely desire these three things. Number one, to kill sin in our lives. And then to sincerely desire to long for the sincere and the spiritual milk of the word. And thirdly, to desire, sincerely desire to truly taste and see that the Lord is good and that he is gracious and some of these themes are certainly contained in the verses that we have read together here this evening and James uh, chapter 1 is really a chapter that introduces a lot of different themes and subjects of which then he elaborates um, further on in the book and we've already seen a little bit of that and we'll see more of that and uh there are um, numerous ones that that he mentions and then goes into greater detail in the subsequent chapters. And we've looked at patience and wisdom and, and prayer um, and also we see the the idea of partiality that is mentioned and then elaborated more on. Uh, the whole idea of duplicity, of, of living maybe a life of hypocrisy, of, of appearing one way and, and really being another way. And, and then that important um, aspect of, of how important it is for our words to, to match our actions, and we certainly have read that here as well. And then the tongue, uh, you know, he introduces it in the reading that we have had here, but then in the third chapter, we'll, when we get to that, we'll see that he goes into that in far more detail. And this whole idea of the disparity between the rich and the poor and, and how they perhaps can maybe see themselves and and um, and see others that are not like them in, in a way that God doesn't want that to happen. And so as we continue to go through the book of James, um, we will touch on subjects and then elaborate them further. But I would like to go through the verses that... Um, we have read together tonight, and not that we will go into great depth in them, but touch on them because they are important. The text that uh, we read began with the words, wherefore, and and as you've heard from myself and others uh, from the pulpit here from time to time, mentioned that whenever the Bible uses That word, or begins a a verse or or a section of scripture, and says "wherefore" or the synonym of that, which would be "therefore." It really is is pointing to um, verses before that, or something that was said before that, and saying because of that, this is what we need to consider. This is what we need to observe, and so this is very much true. In the reading tonight, in the verse that is before this, which um, I'll read, verse 18 says, Of his own will, he begat, um, begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And I used a paraphrase of that. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word that we out of all creation should be his prized possession. And so this clearly points us to the whole idea that through the the word, the true word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the power that is contained in that word, of which we also read in our text this evening, that that um, leads men to repentance and to conversion and to the new birth that needs to result in something and and results in, in a changed life and, and establishes a relationship with God, our creator, but then puts us into a relationship um, in which he wants us to live a certain way according to the word of God. And The the last verse of what we read here is the one that really summarizes, um, in a sense, the first chapter of James and much of what he is teaching in his entire epistle, but certainly also summarizes the reading that uh, we have had this evening. And I'll read that verse again, where the Bible says here, James writes, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself or oneself unspotted from the, the world. So what does this mean? Pure religion, pure. You know, I think all of us when we think of the word pure, there's probably things that, that come to our mind and, and what just flashed into my mind was pure maple syrup. You buy maple syrup, and you can buy it maybe in different ways, but if you buy the pure maple syrup, it's 100% uh, maple syrup. And that could be true for many different things in life. So when we think of pure, other words that would come to our mind would be something that is genuine. It's the real thing. It's it's not as as sometimes in this world... um, People will sell things or, or, or try to uh, give things, and they're not genuine. And we have a word for that, a knockoff, they call it. Something that maybe looks identical, maybe even feels identical, or seems like it's identical. But when you see the price, you know it's not the real thing. You know it's not genuine. And it's not really real, or as we would say here, pure. Other words might be uh, counterfeit. Um, and we know, we obviously, when you say the word counterfeit, you know, most obviously, that would be referring to, to money that looks, um, and to most of us, would feel exactly uh, like the real thing. But in essence, it's not, because it has been um, made counterfeit, uh, or forgery would be another word that comes to mind. And another uh, word that this verse uses is the word "undefiled," and and that's really a reference to to something that maybe was pure at one point, but then became defiled because something else was mixed in, something else was added to it, and it became. As we would say, sometimes spoiled or soiled with something else. And so, imitation or fake or replica or not authentic, these are all words that would describe something that is not pure and the opposite of being pure. And so, we will consider this this evening and ask the question what this, this pure religion Um, an undefiled religion what does it look like based on the scriptures that we have read the verses that we have read tonight and we could also ask it this way what is true Christianity and what does that look like and we could also ask the question why is that important to any one of us. And I think it's very important because the Bible warns and speaks so much about deception that is in the world and the deception that will come. And we don't want to be deceived in the sense thinking that we have something that is pure and without um, and undefiled and, and, and that it's not. And just like you would be disappointed very much so. If you purchase something that you thought was genuine and was real, only to find out later that it really wasn't, and that you were somehow uh, deceived or, or or fooled into into purchasing that, and so it is important because there is that possibility of being deceived and 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 living in deception of thinking that that how we are living out our Christian life is the way it's supposed to be when perhaps it's not. And, beloved, that can so easily happen. And so as we look at these verses and touch on them briefly, I see that there are four things here that really speak to, to this question, what is true Christianity? And obviously it's not just these four, four things. It's many, many other things that are contained in the Scriptures that we can know. But let's look at the ones that, that are given to us here. And really... Uh, the, One that was very obvious, that was touched on on Sunday as well. But it says here, Beloved, uh, wherefore my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak, and then slow to wrath. goes on to say, For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. And then going down to verse 26, If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. And so obviously the tongue and, and the use of it, or the misuse of it, is is something that is, a, in many ways, a telltale sign of true Christianity. And in a future message, as we get to chapter 3 of, of James, we will dive into that in more detail. And just um, look at, at how easily the tongue can be used to not only lead us astray, but also... Um, reveal what is in our hearts, because the Bible does tell us that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, and it reveals what's in our hearts. But to this very scripture here, um, where James says, wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be um, swift to hear and slow to speak, um, reminded me of a, a quote, it's not in the Bible, but I think it's in many ways, biblical, and that is that God gave us two ears and one mouth, and we should use them in that proportion. And I think that's a wise saying, and certainly could be backed up with, with Scripture as well, that, and we are wise to follow the instructions, and many of the things that James touches on uh, refer back to the Proverbs, refer back to the teachings of Jesus, especially in the Sermon on the Mount and what we find in the Gospels. But certainly that is an area that, that all of us perhaps struggle with but need to work on, that we would, as James encourages us, to be swift to hear and slow to speak. How often we, we blur things out and, and say things and wish we we could take them back and we know we can. And how often we we are poor listeners because we, we're we thinking of our response to what somebody is saying and we're not really listening to them. And sometimes we hear the words they say, but we don't hear their hearts and, and the message that they're really trying to get across to us. And so for that reason, James is encouraging us to be swift to hear, slow to speak, and that will be evidence of... of the sanctification that is happening in our lives, the, the working towards holiness and the presence of the Spirit of God and the outworking of the Spirit of God in our lives. And as James um, speaks uh, here about that, it's, it's really, um, I'll put it this way, it's, it's what in other places of Scripture we could say is, out with the old and in with the new. That, as the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation, a new creature, that all things are passed away, and behold, all things become new. And so we are encouraged that, that true Christianity is one in which the old man has died, is dying, and is being put off, as the Bible says, and the new man is being put on. And we become more and more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And number of scriptures that bear that out. In Colossians, um, a few verses in chapter 3, verse beginning with verse 8, But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, of which we read about this evening, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. And what a what an accurate portrayal of, of putting off the old man and putting on the new man. Moving over to the book of Ephesians, we, we read these words, that ye put off concerning the former conversation or way of life, the old man, which is corrupt. According to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands. The thing which is good that he, he may have to give to him that needeth. And let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. These references to putting off the old man, we know that that is certainly a, a, a critical and important part of being born again, of, of being renewed in the spirit of our mind and, and putting on Christ and taking on Christ into our life. But that process of, of putting off the old man doesn't begin and end when we are converted. Paul put it this way, that we need to die daily to that old man and, and crucify that old man daily as he tries to resurrect himself in our lives and and, and bring back those things that that. We are called upon in these verses to put off and to change. And so in any at any time and in any way, these things creep into our lives, even in a small way, that could um, defile us, that could, in a sense, um, pollute us, we might say, or water down our Christian testimony, we need to put those things on off secondly here we, we read the importance of, of not just hearing God's word but actually doing it and uh, James um, um, says this here but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves and, and here we see that clear connection to the deception that that can creep into any one of our lives that we may see ourselves or, or think ourselves as good Christians or um, and and all right and, and needing very little change, but that when we examine our lives closer, that we begin to see that there are things that just aren't right. And he uses the analogy of a mirror of, of somebody getting up in the morning and and uh, and and looking into the mirror and perhaps. Uh, uh, seeing that there's some things that are not that presentable, not that right, but then maybe getting distracted and, and hurrying on with their day, not realizing that, that as they go out there, these things are obvious to others, that one is not as they ought to be. And, and he really drives the point home here that uh, that we can be deceived and that if our actions don't measure up to our words, not only are we deceived, but that in a sense, our faith that we profess is, can be as bad as in vain, but most certainly can be a poor testimony, and most certainly can be far less than God wants it to be. Um, just briefly in the second chapter of James here the 14th verse it says what does it profit my brethren though a man say he has faith and have not works can faith save him if a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food and one say to one of you say unto them depart in peace be ye warmed and filled notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body what does it profit even so faith if it have not works is dead being Alone, and this really takes us also to the the next point, the third point here, and that is that of of what, G, uh, what James very specifically calls out as being pure religion, the kind of religion, the kind of Christianity that is pure and, and undefiled and is genuine and is the real thing. What he says is this: to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. And you will often in scripture find uh, mention of widows and fatherless. And the reason for that is a number of reasons. One that they were very that that was very close to the heart of God. And it was because they were the ones especially in biblical times that were marginalized they, a widow was, was destitute because she had no one to care for her and, and would really need to rely on the benevolence and generosity of others, as would those that were fatherless, the orphans. They too were very vulnerable in, in that, those societies in, at that time. And so the the father heart of God reached out to to them and he is reaching out to us as well and saying that we also need to have the father's heart for those that are marginalized and showing love to them. And even as we read here in the second chapter, if there is someone that is naked, someone that is destitute, that true Christianity, pure religion, undefiled religion and Christianity will not only say some kind words, but will will do something about it. And that's the difference between simply professing and really living it out and acting it out in our lives. And so much more, Ken, and we will get to more on that. But finally the last one that James really references here Um, In addition to visiting, and that word visiting is is really caring for the widows and um, the fatherless and the widows uh, in their affliction. But then he says, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. And this, beloved, is probably one of the biggest challenges that you and I face in the world that we live in. In in west in the Western world, in the um, uh, time and place that we find ourselves in, a time of 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 affluence uh, and and plenty, um, in in a sense that the world has not known in the past, and and all of this is is trying to creep into our lives and make inroads into our lives and becomes the challenge for every one of us. And Jesus recognized that challenge for believers when he prayed very specifically for his disciples, but also for us when he says, and Father, I pray not that you would take them out of this world, but that you would keep them from the evil. Keep them from the evil that is in this world. And that is the challenge that you and I face to live in this world, but not be overtaken in a sense, not be deceived in a sense, not be uh, corrupted and not be spoiled by having parts of the world uh, take away from the Christian testimony, the Christian life that you and I as believers are called to, to live um Every day of our lives. John touches on this as well in his uh, epistle chapter 2. He says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And it is that the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life that tries to creep into our lives and and cause that pure and undefiled religion or Christianity become defiled to become dil- diluted, another word uh, to become minimized in our lives, and we need to with with the power of God with his holy spirit the, the living and working in our hearts, fight against that by the grace and the strength that he will give us. And as we can read in Romans, that we would be in this daily transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And being not conformed to this world, but rather transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so in closing, I would just like to share a, a quote, a familiar quote to, to many, um, by Menno Simon, in which he, I think, describes very aptly what this pure religion looks like. What true Christianity looks like. What a Christianity that is undefiled and and unpolluted in a sense really looks like. And so let me just read this to you in closing. True evangelical faith is of such a nature, it cannot lie dormant, but spreads itself out in all kinds of righteousness and fruits of love. It dies to flesh and blood. It destroys all lusts and forbidden desires. It seeks serves and fears God in its inmost soul. It clothes the naked. It feeds the hungry. It comforts the sorrowful. It shelters the destitute. It aids and consoles the sad. It does good to those who do it harm. It serves those that harm it. It prays for those who persecute it. It teaches admonishes, and judges all with the word of the Lord. It seeks those who are lost. It binds up what is wounded. It heals the sick. It becomes all things to all people. The persecution, suffering, and anguish that come to it for the sake of the Lord's truth have become a glorious joy and comfort to it. Amen.